So you can go ahead and introduce yourself. I'm Dr. Shireen Aladimi, and I'm an assistant professor of education at Michigan State. And I'm also an anti-war advocate for uh, specifically the war in Yemen. Awesome. And thank you so much again for taking some time to speak to me. So I'd be curious of just like an update on what's been happening recently with the war. I think there have been the, the peace process has been ongoing, but I've seen uh, that the peace talks were boycotted by uh, by the Houthis. And, and there, so there's not as much uh, participation really in like an equal negotiation. Um, and then in addition that, you know, Biden had like announced that he was gonna limit the war in some respects, but that hasn't really amounted to anything. Um, so yeah, I'm curious about what's been happening in the, in the past year so far. Yeah, I mean, over the past year, and specifically since October of 2021, there's been an escalation in the bombings in Yemen. Um, and this just happens to have coincided with the time where the UN stopped uh, funding the independent body of investigators in Yemen and decided to go through with the regular old, you know, Saudi investigating themselves and clearing themselves of any wrongdoing as they had been doing in the past. So the eminent expert, the, you know, a panel of eminent experts are no longer funded. And ever since then, there's been a spike in the bombings. Uh, and I think it just signals the complete, you know, lack of accountability and the impunity with which the Saudi and the UAE coalition has been operating. And this kind of gave them another green light that the world isn't really watching, that nobody's really holding them accountable in Yemen. Um, Biden, like you mentioned, had about a year ago, a little over a year ago, um, following his um, taking over office, made promises about ending US involvement. Um, he introduced a weird dichotomy. So during the campaign trail, he was saying that he's gonna end the war and his advisors are saying they're gonna end everything, all forms of US support to the war in Yemen. And when he took office, his first announcement, you know, for foreign policy announcement was centered around Yemen. And he said he's ending offensive operations and reviewing relevant arms sales. And so he all of a sudden introduced this offensive versus defensive um, kind of dichotomy that actually they haven't clarified either. So what that meant. So Congress was very, as you may remember, um, enthusiastic about ending US participation in the war. It took many years for them to get there, but by 2019, they had passed a war powers resolution, bipartisan effort in the House and the Senate, and then it was vetoed by Trump. Mm -hmm. um, but they were still talking war powers in January of 2021 before Biden made his announcement, saying that if Biden wasn't gonna end US involvement, that they were ready to invoke um, war powers in Yemen uh, against Biden. Um, but I guess it kind of calmed them down a little bit when they heard that he was intending to end the war or end US participation in the war. And I'm kind of using those interchangeably because really ending US participation in the war is effectively gonna end the war in Yemen given how much the US or the UAE uh, and the Saudis rely on the US. Right. So that hasn't happened. Congress eventually asked for clarification from uh, the Biden administration and were just met with cold shoulders, never really explained how um, you know, intelligence sharing is now defensive versus offensive. I mean, uh, what are we defending? The, you know, the U.S. doesn't share any territory with Yemen, obviously. Like, there is no defensive war in Yemen. It's only an offensive war. Um, protecting Saudi territory should not be considered defensive on the part of the U.S. Yeah. Um, 
but apparently we are still providing intelligence just quote unquote defensively and we're still uh, the big way that the US is still maintaining its presence in the war is through maintenance and spare parts. So every time Saudi jets or UAE jets are bombing Yemen, um, they land in Saudi Arabia and they're serviced and provided spare parts by the US military, without which they cannot continue. Like after every flight, they need resurfacing and the US provides that support. Um, so that's one of the many ways that the US continues to be instrumental and central in this war. Thank you for that update. And I wonder too how the U.S. has played a role in the in the ongoing peace negotiations that are that are happening right now. Or I know that that Saudi Arabia also announced that they were going to draw down their role in the war somewhat, but that has been seen through pretty much as as a, a kind of a false promise. And also that these negotiations are occurring without really any input from people uh, from Yemeni people themselves. Um, so I'm curious what you, what you make of this uh, new peace process that's happening. Yeah, well, it's difficult to negotiate with people who are still blockading you, invading you, and bombing you, right? right. Um, without at least having some kind of acknowledgement that, you know, for example, the blockade needs to be lifted unconditionally right. because people continue to be dying. Kids are dying at a rate of a child every 75 seconds, right? Of starvation, all due to the blockade, no other reason. Um, and so there are these words and the actions don't seem to match. Um, what strikes me about the role of the US is, and this is a bit disturbing, is to even see themselves as a peace negotiator when they haven't earned the right to do so, uh, when they've been party to, <laughs> party to the war. Um, you can't be bombing people and helping them with, um, you know, causing their misery basically, and then go around and say, we wanna negotiate a, a, a deal among these other parties. It doesn't work that way. Um, and I think Yemenis see the U.S. as a party to the war. They, they know these are U.S. bombs that are dropping on them. Saudi Arabia doesn't make its own bombs. Um, they know that the U.S. is helping with the training and the servicing and the up until recently, um, you know, mid-air refueling and things like that. So I don't think the, I, I think the only people that can legitimately kind of act as peace brokers would be people who haven't been involved either in directly or through weapon sales. For example, Oman, Oman has not been involved um, and is the only Yemeni neighbor that hasn't been involved in this war over the last several years and has played a role in trying to broker negotiations under the previous Sultan, but I haven't seen much in the last couple of years from them. And I, I wonder too, what you make of the, in the context of all this happening, the US and UK with, the UAE as well, initiative to, again, like, like Trump had done, uh, label the Houthis as a terrorist group. Um, you know, how does it, how do you reconcile, like, as, exactly as you're saying that there's this blockade going on and yet the Saudis are saying, okay, we're going to stop now. And then simultaneously this effort to like really label um, the Houthis as, a, as terrorists. Yeah. Um so the labeling is interesting because it's just a political move. It's nothing more than a political move. Mm. And the Biden administration understood this as such. One of his first acts in, in, as in office was to re remove them from the mm -hmm. designated list that Trump had, you know, kind of symbolically decided to put them on um, as one of his last acts in office. Um, and at the time, the State Department stated that, you know, we understand, we've heard the UN, we've heard from you, 
organizations, humanitarian organizations, and this was not going to help in any way, and it's just going to starve Yemeni people. And yet for Biden to go around and say that he is seriously considering this now is just kind of another indication that it's uh, business as usual with the US administration. This is the third administration It started under the Obama-Biden administration. This is the third administration to carry on this war. And you know they'll do whatever they can to, to, to get Yemen back, so to speak, right? Um, they had their puppet in, in government, or at least this very strong US ally, Saudi ally for 33 years. And they will do whatever they can, whatever is necessary to return back to status quo, given Yemen's strategic importance. Um, and one of those was using aid as, as, a, as a weapon, right? So the Trump, Trump administration, for example, canceling USAID to Northern Yemen, where 70% of the population resides. Um, another tactic is labeling the Houthis as terrorists, knowing it's going to starve those 70 to 80% of people who live there. Um, Another is, uh, you know, targeting the infrastructure, even using the blockade. There's no reason you should be blockading people during war, when, especially in a country like Yemen, that depends on, for you know, imports 90% of its needs. Um, so these have all just been tactics to get the Houthis to to give up. Um, not understanding that it's not just the Houthis, um, and if it were just the Houthis, or if the Houthis were just a small and significant group, then we wouldn't be here seven years later. Um, and I think the Saudis are kind of jarred by the ability of the Houthis to respond in some small way through these drones and uh, attacks that we've seen. Um, it signals that Saudi is not as safe or the UAE is not as safe as they had imagined themselves to be. Um, and that if they want a war, well, this is what war looks like. Um, and for the past seven years, they haven't really seen any consequences of this so-called war. It's just been completely asymmetrical. And it still is asymmetrical because the Houthis cannot, haven't caused, you know, nearly as much damage as, I mean, we're talking in destruction of an entire country, 377,000 people dead, a child dying every 75 seconds, and maybe a handful of civilians who have been killed in Saudi Arabia and the UAE, if that. Um, so certainly still not a war by any means, but um, I think they're threatened by the ability of the Houthis to respond through these attacks and um, are probably more motivated than ever to come to some kind of deal because how long can this continue? And I'm very curious about uh, kind of like even talking about it and saying, calling it a war and calling it a, uh, I think something that has been consistent with the media coverage of uh, of Yemen itself has been attempts to portray this as a civil war between two equal sides and uh or, or like even when uh, there was a rejection of the Saudi uh, peace initiative because of exactly like you said, not doing anything about the blockade, the media framing is very much like, oh, you know, these rebels, they rejected peace basically. And I wonder how these media narratives help shape um, the framing that the US and the UK want of, of Yemen as very much uh, like a civil war and um, they're simply acting as like benevolent, uh, benevolent intervention to help restore peace and so on. When really it is, as as you've been pointing out, an imperialist uh, yeah. blockade and and uh, intervention by the U.S., U.K., Saudi Arabia, and the U.A.E. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, what's happening in Ukraine right now with the whole world kind of coming to the defense of the refugees that are coming out of Ukraine and um, it's on everybody's minds. It's all the news is ever covering. But the reason people care about Ukraine so much is because that's all the news is ever covering, right? Yeah. And they're telling us to care about this issue. They're telling us, oh, look at the horrors um, that these Ukrainians, these civilians are going through. This is something we should absolutely care about. Um, and, you know, we haven't seen things like that happen with Yemen. Um, there is no refugee crisis because they're blockaded. They're, you know, seven years later, I, I do talks and webinars all the time and I get asked, you know, just like you said, like the basic questions about even how this war has been framed. Like, why do people still think this is a civil war? Well, the right. media continues referring to it as a civil war. Why do people still think this is like, a proxy war between Iran and Saudi Arabia, despite zero evidence, right? Because that's how it's uh, often framed. Um, you know, when it is discussed, when the humanitarian crisis, which at some point, you know, just couldn't be ignored anymore, when it is discussed, it's discussed in this way that's completely decontextualized, right? Like you would almost imagine that, oh, you know, there's just a famine or a drought or something's going on, some natural disaster. Like you don't really understand that. Um, it, a civil war doesn't create a famine like that. A civil war, you know, in a civil war, pre people don't blockade themselves. People don't, you know, cause damage that sets them back a hundred years. Um, this is only happening because of these foreign interventionists who can come and do as they want in Yemen and uh, not bear any consequences, either diplomatically through sanctions, let's say, or like Russia is undergoing right now, or you know, through any kind of uh, response. In fact, they've just been support supported and bolstered with weapon sales and um, intelligence sharing and all sorts of military contracts. And so um, people aren't gonna care because they don't know. And when they do know and they find out, they care deeply and then they're, um, at least some people and you know they're kind of horrified by the fact that you know our governments are democratic governments and you know are, are joining the the pylon and they're making hundreds of billions of dollars out of this war um and are completely on the wrong side of history there's nothing that justifies our role in yemen us uk you know all of these countries role nothing absolutely nothing justifies um the cruelty with which we've um you know the cruelty that we've uh, instigated upon the Yemeni people. Um, so yeah, I think framing is hugely important. Uh, and outside of kind of non-corporate media, people don't really know what's happening in Yemen or don't know that the US is so involved that, that it's practically running the war, um, that it's not a civil war, that it's um, completely driven by outside forces, that it was never really a civil war to begin with. It was civil unrest that the Yemenis themselves were about to negotiate a settlement out of. Um, and, you know, a UN kind of mandated settlement and agreement. And this happened just as they were about to sign the agreement. So um, it's really unfortunate because so much could have been prevented. So much of this tragedy, tragedy could have been prevented had, had our free press actually done their job and asked questions and uh, rejected the narrative of the, our government. I'm, I'm curious what you think the end goal is here uh, as you kind of mentioned before the i think the transparent nature of of the biden administration reflecting from a year ago when there was like a slight sign of hope uh to now when some you know people have actually said the war it's gotten worse since biden made that announcement so that really has meant nothing uh the end goal with respect to 
the U.S. and 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 the Saudis as well. Um, that seems to be like the crux of the issue is that they don't want to accept anything but a return to this kind of puppet status for Yemen. So, you know, I guess I, I wonder what happens next um, when they continue to make these kind of veins of peace to see what will happen. And they, when they get rebuffed, they become even, even more brutal um, because they want uh, a return to having this, this puppet status for Yemen. That's a really tough question because um, I think for the Saudis, it's kind of this, they're operating under the sunk cost fallacy. Um, you know, they've literally sunk hundreds of billions of dollars into this war. And, you know, it was just, I mean, think of how embarrassing it must be for the Saudis, one of the world's richest, most resourceful countries to, um, not even advanced in territory since July of 2015, right? They have pockets of Yemen that they also share with uh, Al-Qaeda and ISIS, right? Um, and then they've got, you know, they're nowhere near the capital. They have been trying to get mad for the past year and a half. They've been trying, they can't even get a hold of Taiz and Baba Menda uh, fully. And so they don't have any of the strategic locations. They called this operation decisive storm and, you know, storms won't last seven years. Um, and so it's hugely embarrassing for the Saudis that they couldn't get this ragtag army that the Houthis put together, were, which is basically composed of foot soldiers because they don't have an air force. Um, and, you know, they can't capture Yemen out of these guys. And so what can they really do, right? And so for them, it's just, okay, well, we're just gonna keep bombing, keep bombing, keep bombing and see if anything changes. Um, the UAE's role is much more nefarious because they're, they understood, I think, at some point that this isn't working very well for them. Uh, and so what can they get out of it? And so they are um, actually funding a separatist group in the South, the um, Southern Transitional, Transitional Council. And um, they are occupying Yemeni islands and have started operating like tourism, tourist flights in there. They've all but annexed Sokotra Island, for example. Um, they are, they were operating like a police state and they have these secret prisons that AP investigations have revealed. Um, they are basically stealing resources out of the ports, um, natural resources, things like that. So at least for the Emiratis, they're thinking of this as a, you know, like how can we enrich ourselves out of this horrible situation that should have never started. Um, whereas the Saudis are still kind of bombing their way through and hoping that things would change. So I don't think Either one of these obviously is acceptable um, because in the end it's still occupation and bombing and blockade. Um, but unless the US decides or there's enough pressure on the US government from us to say, you know, this can't happen anymore. Um, I've heard Congress people, people, you know, lawmakers here in the US say that we, the US can ground the Saudi Air Force tomorrow if they wanted to. Um, the U.S. has a lot of leverage with Saudi Arabia and the UAE that they just have not used because, again, they're party to the war. Um, but if the U.S. finally realizes that this is, the Yemenis are just not going to give up. Like, clearly, they haven't given up the last seven years despite everything that's happened. They're not going to give up, and it's just going to be this prolonged war. Um, so if the U.S. decides to stop funding this war and stop directing and stop training, then what are the Saudis and Emiratis going to do? Right, and so that's the hope. The hope is that it ends here, so that it at least 
you know, minimizes the damage that Saudi Arabia and the UAE could do, at least in the, in the short term. But I don't know. I, I mean, I just don't know why they won't stop. I mean, other than just being completely embarrassed by what's happening. No, what, what you mentioned as well with the islands, uh, I had I had also seen recently um, the UAE announcing they wanted to turn uh, Socotra into the eighth emirate of the UAE, which is just horrible. Um, yeah. And I, I guess that would be my last my last question um, on that note, which is just I think a lot of people are aware about, uh, or at least a little bit aware of, the suffering that the the blockade has imposed. But you know, um, what should people know about just really how devastating uh, the the Saudis and the Emiratis have been uh, to Yemen beyond? So I mean, we have this example of a very blatant uh, annexationist kind of policy. The UN has announced that this. Uh, could escalate into like an all-out famine uh, within the next couple of weeks. Yeah. There's also the the fact that the war in Ukraine has triggered a lot of problems as well with with this famine increasing in right. in potential and fuel shortages as well due to the blockade. So in in entering the seventh year of, of the crisis, where how much uh, you know human devastation has been inflicted upon Yemen by by the Saudis, by the UAE, and by extension, as you said, the US and the UK? I mean, it's it's absolutely the worst thing that's happening in the world right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what's, you know, coming close to this is what sanctions are doing to the people of Afghanistan, um, the starvation that we're seeing in Afghanistan, right? Um, but this has been happening for the past seven years. And when people are, you know, there's, the UN is, has been reluctant to declare famine, but famine has been happening in Yemen. And right. even the declaration of famine is a political move when we know that the UN is hugely restricted in what they can and can't do and say because of their funders, right? The UAE, Saudi, uh, US. Um, and they've been very explicit in the past about the kinds of pressures and the threats and the intimidations that the Saudis and, uh, have used against the UN. So there is famine, people are dying. Um, it's I mean, it's it's difficult to really comprehend the level of destruction because even the numbers don't uh, aren't you know accurate. Like three hundred seventy seven thousand people is a huge number, and even that is a is a is massively undercounted undercounts how many people have actually died and continue to die and continue to suffer. So, like, imagine you know not having Tylenol on in you know on the shelves and a child can just die of a regular fever and that doesn't get counted as a war death but it is certainly a war death because Tylenol is just I mean it's such a simple thing that when you have a blockade you don't have clean water let alone or fuel uh, or even now wheat you know let alone um, medicine Um, you know people haven't been paid their salaries because of the transfer of the central bank from the north to the south a few years ago um, so government workers work and they get paid nothing. Um, lots of people beg on the streets. Lots of people die in their homes of starvation. Half the country doesn't even have access to a health clinic, any kind of health care. Half, like 50% of the country, 15 million people don't have access to health care. Um, and, you know, whatever hospitals and healthcare facilities remain are barely functioning at like 10, 20% capacity. So, I mean, I... I I avoid watching videos of Yemen. 
um, because for me, it's, you know, it's home. It's, um, right. uh, it's difficult for me to continue to do this work when, um, when I see a video that completely devastates me, but every now and then, you know, something creeps up and it's just unbelievable to see the amount of destruction um, that the bombs have caused and that, you know, the blockade has completely ravaged the entire country. Um, it's literally the worst thing happening in the world and our government is directly supporting it, directly causing it. Um, there's just no, absolutely no justification and it just boggles my mind that, you know, Congress is not more active given that this is their purview. Like presidents can't declare war, presidents can't go into different countries and decide to help this army or that army, it's, it's Congress's purview. Um, and the lack of urgency uh, over the last even seven years has just been extremely disappointing. Like people should understand that they are complicit when they are not um, actively trying to end this war. That is completely within their purview to end. Absolutely, and I, I hope that we had a, before Biden came in really a strong yeah. potential for, for something to change. And as, I, as, as you said, I think the announcement that he made when he entered office really diminished the, uh, the attention and the, yeah. the, the urgency that people were feeling with it. So I hope that people really start to realize again that it, nothing changed just because Biden became it president. Just, it was yeah. just rebranded. And that was what I was worried about uh, with Biden's you know, kind of presidency, I worried that he would just rebrand it because mm -hmm. this is a man who had, you know, a strong relationship with the Saudis throughout his career and was in the administration that began this war. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, words mean nothing, actions are everything. And it's just disappointing that Congress didn't see right through it, or even if they did see right through it, they are, they're just waiting so, for so long. Uh, you know, Representative DeFazio and, um, Jaipal announced in February, they wrote a piece saying that they would introduce another war powers uh, by the time, by the seventh year anniversary. Seventh year anniversary came and went and, you know, a few days ago, and then instead of introducing a war powers, they wrote another statement saying, well, if you don't end it, we'll introduce the war powers. Okay, what are these empty threats then, right? Where is the urgency? I know that people are consumed with Ukraine, but certainly we can walk into Gama at the same time. Like you don't have to just be consumed by one thing at a time. Um, and so I, I really worry about people playing politics and uh, not understanding the gravity of the situation. Well, I completely agree with you there. And I hope that people, I think we know the reason why there's more yeah. attention being paid to Ukraine. Uh, that's very unfortunate, but um, I, you know, I hope that people realize and also see through a lot of the reporting about about the the peace process and everything, um, which is very, I mean that that is definitely designed to give you an impression of of the conflict that is very very one sided. Yeah. Um. But but thank you so much for taking some time to talk to me about it, and and I really appreciate kind of an update on on what's going on to continue following it and hope that this doesn't just drop off people's uh, radar, you know, just because of, of what Biden has said. I hope so too. Thank you so much. And uh, it's great talking to you. And um, I'm, I'm glad that you're covering this issue. Thanks so much. Take right. care. You too. Bye. Bye.